Y'all sounded good today, I'm not gonna lie. You sound pretty good, you sound ready. You sound ready, yeah, I like it. Um, I have a, a sister, she's an older sister, two years older. And we actually have an ongoing debate about our childhood because my sister Dana is certain that I was the more spoiled child, okay? So she says this all the time. She's like, you got away with stuff that I never could do. Mom lets you do whatever you want. And really the thing is, as the more spoiled younger child, I cannot deny it, but I don't tell her that, okay? So I hold back and I deny it completely to her face and all the older siblings in the room, you know this feeling of frustration, right? All the younger ones getting spoiled. Now, the problem though that I've realized now is in my own parenting because I am realizing that my younger child, Brinley, my daughter, may be the more spoiled child. We actually might have some problems with special treatment and this realization came to me somewhat recently, some weeks ago, when Brinley and I were alone at home and she asked me for some candy. So I'm like, all right, I'll give her some candy, you know, spoil it a little bit. And Easton and Nicole come home then later that day while Brinley is just gorging herself on a blow pop, just loving life. And Easton in that moment of just desperation is like, dad, why does Brinley get so much more than I do? And me being a responsible father, denied it completely. I, I'm not about to let a six-year-old call me out all right, on my problems. I'm like, absolutely not, bud. We love you the same. We treat you exactly the same. But I started thinking about it and I was like, he ain't wrong, actually. And we have a little princess that is taking over our household right now and it's becoming a problem. And I thought about it more deeply. I'm like, why is this the case? Why does Brinley seem to get more than Easton sometimes? And I don't actually think it's because she's younger or my daughter or some little princess. I think the reason Brinley really gets more is because she asks. She asks a lot. She asks all the time. She is constantly asking me for things. And this girl knows that she has more willpower than I do. So she just wears me down. And I finally give in to get this girl to stop harassing me. I'm like, just stop talking to me here. Whatever you want, leave me alone. That's the approach. Now, actually, the reason I bring that up is because I actually think that's a pretty good glimpse into how God actually operates with us on some level. And, and if you are joining us today, we are in week three of a series we started at the top of the year. We are calling Favor of God. And just to catch you up, if you're new into this series, we've been talking about how God actually has favor that he wants to give us that there's actually power he wants to give you, help he wants to provide. Sometimes there's doors he wants to open in your life. There's actually favor God has for you. And last week, we, we kind of talked about this idea of how the favor of God isn't free, though. You know, your salvation is, but there are conditions to the favor of God and how there's even a correlation to our personal holiness and sometimes the amount of favor of God we see in our lives. And as we do the hard work of character formation and even humbling ourselves, we can actually open ourselves up to more of God's work in our lives. So actually, I wanted to continue in that thought today about some of the things we can do, the things that are within our power to access more of the favor of God in our lives. And I actually today want to talk about one practice 
that I think has the single greatest impact on how much of God's favor you may see in your life. And if it isn't the single greatest, it is absolutely essential. You can say that. And as I've kind of done in some of the messages before, I want to look at some passages to see if we can recognize a pattern, okay, how this actually works. So we're going to dig through here. We're going to start with David. I've brought him up once or twice already in the series. It is undeniable that David had the favor of God in his life. It's so clear, even just to review even some examples. First Samuel 18, in everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. Second Samuel 5, and he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. So there's a lot of reasons David had this dynamic in his life. There were definitely seasons of life he had great character. He was even willing to humble himself when he messed up big time. But there's actually one thing David did that is talked about more than anything else in his life. This is the most repeated behavior we see in scripture about David. And I think it speaks directly to why he saw the favor of God in a special way. Let's see if we can see a pattern here. First Samuel 23, it says, so David inquired of the Lord. Verse four, once again, David inquired of the Lord. Chapter 30, and David inquired of the Lord. Is anybody noticing anything yet? I don't know. Second uh, Samuel, in the course of time, David inquired of the Lord. Chapter five, so David inquired of the Lord. One more just for fun, David inquired of the Lord. I think you get the point. There is something that David did a lot. It was just a part of his life. David sought God. He prayed. He asked. That's what we're talking about when we say inquiring of God. And again, I don't want to just cherry pick parts of the Bible. I want us to see that this is a proven principle of the Bible. So let's look at some other people. Uzziah was a king um, in the Bible. Second Chronicles says he sought God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Jehoahaz, second Kings. Then Jehoahaz sought the Lord's, it even gets more specific, favor. And the Lord listened to him. Now, those are some people. Let's talk about some direct teachings of the Bible. Just two examples. Psalm 105, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. If you've been to any of the weeks before, you would know that when we talk about the favor of God, it literally means to have God turn his face toward you. So when we're seeking God's face, we're not just seeking his presence, we're seeking his very presence and power and favor in our lives. Jeremiah 29, let's make it as clear as possible. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Okay, I think that's enough data points. We have an undeniable principle of the favor of God and how it works in our lives. And it is this, favor is found by those who seek it. Favor is found by those who seek it. Now, just in the last couple weeks, Nicole and I reached a breaking point uh, as it comes to our house. I don't know if anybody else has this problem, but over time, there's one spot in our house that just starts to accumulate a massive mess and junk, and it is our basement, okay? It just turns into an explosion of stuff, mostly toys from the kids, but it got so bad when I'm like, okay, we can't see the ground anymore. It's probably time to clean this thing up, and I almost 
took a picture to show everybody in our church, but I thought that was a little bit too shameful. So just picture like a war-torn area, and that's my basement. Just imagine that in your mind. And so we start this cleaning process. And in the middle of this process, Easton, for whatever reason, just decides that he wants a toy that he hasn't seen probably in two years. He decides he wants this tiny little yellow walkie-talkie. Now, any parent have this experience where your kid's like, hey, mom, dad, where's this thing that I haven't seen since I was like two? And you're like, yeah, I definitely threw that away years ago. And now you're asking for this tiny thing? And so I'm like, geez, bud, I'm going to do my best, but I'm not making any promises. In the back of my mind, I'm like, you are definitely never seeing that toy ever again. So I'm doing like an hour or two every day just trying to get this basement back to functional. And the interesting thing was, though, I knew what my son wanted. And so it changed the way I was looking. I was cleaning up this basement. And through this entire ocean of toys and mess, there was just one thing I was looking for. Just one thing. And through this entire process towards the end, as I'm finishing up these piles of toys, lo and behold, out of this giant ocean of mess, what pops up? But a tiny little yellow walkie-talkie to my shock. And I know some of you guys are like, well, yeah, Brian, you cleaned the basement. Eventually it showed up. No, if you saw my basement, you would know it was only by the favor of God did I find that toy. There's no other way that could have happened. Now, why was I able to find this little walkie-talkie? I was looking for it. It was the only thing I was looking for. And if you look throughout scripture and history, you see the people who find the favor of God are the ones who are looking for it. With all of the distractions and temptations and desires and endless other opportunities there are in this world, God's favor is waiting to be found. Now, if that's the case, this leads to a very important question we have to ask ourselves today. We know that people have found the favor of God throughout history. We just read a minute ago that God promises that if we seek him, we will find him. It's a guarantee from God. If that's the case, then we got to ask this question. Why do we not see more of God's favor in our lives? Because I'm willing to bet there's a good number of us here today that would say, I don't really feel like I have as much as I would like, or maybe even as much as I could or should have in my life. And there's a variety of reasons for why that may be the case, but I want to focus on just one possible reason for why that may be your experience. Is it possible that you do not experience as much of God's favor because you're not looking for it? Could it be that simple? You don't have as much of favor of God because you're not seeking it. You're not looking through it in the ocean of stuff in this life. I promise this is not a guilt trip, okay? This is a, just a personal exercise, not a guilt trip at all. Let's take honest assessment just right now. If, if you were to evaluate your life right just in this moment, um, your prayer life in particular. So let's say just consistency, quality, quantity of prayer, the feeling of connection you have with God. Evaluation on a scale one to 10, okay? 10 is your Jesus, all right? That's 10. One is you are definitely not Jesus, okay? So somewhere in that scale, how would you rate your prayer life right now? You don't have to hold up a number. Just think in your head, what would your number be if you were to grade yourself? Now, with whatever number you have in your head, I'm willing to make a bet 
that for most of us in, that, in this room and online, that number's lower than it probably should be. That number is lower than you know you could make it. And I think this is an experience for so many of us because if you have ever made an attempt to build some type of prayer practice in your life, you've probably had this experience. You try to start it and then you kind of get distracted and it gets kind of hard and then you kind of lose momentum, then you kind of give up and then you're kind of discouraged and you don't really know how to do it. And before you know it, you're just kind of like, I don't even know if this works. I don't even know how this works. And then you just don't really do it. And if that has been your experience, which I'm willing to bet for pretty much everybody here, we've had that experience of prayer. I think there's a mistake you would make though. It's a big mistake many people make. We go through that experience and we think, okay, I guess prayer doesn't work. And I guess that's kind of on God because I tried and I'm not seeing anything come out of it. And the reason that's a mistake is because I think if we were all truly honest in this room about our own lives, we would admit that the reason we don't pray is because we are unwilling to put in the work required to actually see results. There's a woman named Mary Peckham. She uh, saw one of, experienced personally, one of the great revivals of history, even the last hundred years. She was in the middle of it, saw a great work of God. Books have been written about it. And she said this, talking about just the typical experience of the average person. She says, many of us pray just enough to ease the conscience, but not enough to win any decided victory. We are playing at praying. We have put very little into it and therefore have received very little from it. Prayer has not been a mighty force, but merely a harmless conventionality. Are you playing at praying? Is prayer a mighty force in your life? Or is it a harmless conventionality? If every prayer you prayed in the last week was answered, what would be measurably different about your life? Truly, if every single prayer got answered exactly the way you asked this past week, would your life be really that much different in any way? Would the world be that much different in any significant way? Would our church be experiencing anything different because of any prayers you've prayed in this last week? You're like, Brian, you're meddling right now, okay? Um, just be patient with me. The reason so few people experience the favor of God is because they have put very little into actually seeking it. And most people are just playing when it comes to the favor of God. Now, this is the last thing I kind of want to lean into this. I promise it is not a guilt thing. It's not a whatever. I even wonder this about myself. I think it's worth asking these questions. Why are so many of us here more passionate about our football team winning a playoff game than experiencing the favor of God in our lives? Why do so many of us in here spend so much time scrolling social media and binge watching Netflix and so little time seeking the face of the God of the universe? Why do so many of us barely pray past God bless this food to my body and give me travel mercies on the next flight? 
which by the way, I have no idea how God blesses pizza to your body. I don't know why anybody prays that. I have no idea if God can even answer that prayer. Um, I do not pray that. If I eat pizza, I'm like, I'm not even asking God. It's just delicious. Thank you for it. But, but this truly is my question then. Why are we surprised then when we do not see great results in our spiritual lives? Why are we mad at God when we barely give him the time of day? If you really want the favor of God, you have to seek the source. And I really want to press on some people today. Do you really want it? Do you really want the favor of God in your life? Do you want to experience more of his presence and power? I'm hoping that you do. Because if you do, I have good news for you. You can access more. God has more for you. He wants to bring more favor into your life. And there are things you can do for that to happen. So let's talk about this for a minute. Let's talk about some secrets of successful seeking. How can we seek the face of God more effectively and actually see results from it? Two things, actually, just today. First thing we see, even from Scripture, about this is you have to be bold. You have to be bold. Now, just this last week, Nicole and I hung out with um, some friends. Uh, they're parents of another kid that goes to one of our kids' schools. And they invite us over. Now, this family has a lot of animals. It's like a total zoo. I mean, it's a lot of fun, but they, they even have three dogs, okay? And, you know, it's been winter. It's been cold. Our dog has been inside a lot. So I kind of pitched the idea to Nicole before we left. I said, hey, do you think they would mind if we brought Bentley to play with their dogs? You know, they got three already. What's a fourth after that point, right? And Nicole, she was like, hey, I actually think that's kind of a good idea. That might be fun. And then an immediate standoff happened between Nicole and I. And maybe you've had this experience. We looked at each other and we were like, who's going to ask? Because <laughs> I don't know if you have the experience. I feel awkward asking for things sometimes. You ever have that where you're like, I don't want to be weird because I'm like, I'm going to text me like, can my dog come over and ruin your house with your dogs? Like, it's a weird ask. And I'm like, if they say no, then they feel weird. And I put them in this awkward position and now we're all just weird. Anybody have like social anxiety like that? Am I the only one who's like awkward like that? So I didn't want to ask. Nicole didn't want to ask either. So we're just like, all right, I don't even know what we're going to do. And what I found though is most people don't like to ask. We don't like to hear no. We don't want to make the relationship weird. And what I've also found, though, is a lot of people actually don't even like to ask God. You know, for a lot of us, there's a lot of reasons for this. Um, some of us in here, if you're in a good season of life, you're kind of coasting. You know, it's something to actually be grateful for sometimes. You don't have any emergencies. It's easy to slip into spiritual complacency, though, if life is going pretty good. And so before you know it, you're not really asking God for much. You're just kind of like bless the food and bless the trip kind of stuff. And then you only actually get serious about praying when something really bad is happening. Then you're like really praying and seeking God. Well, the problem with that is your entire prayer life then just becomes about problem removal. God is your garbage man. And instead of praying for the purposes of God in your life to advance and his kingdom move forward, you are really just like, God, please make my life easier. Sometimes it's not even that though. I've even talk to people, I felt this, there's almost like this weird false humility with God. You're like, well, I don't want to bother God and he's probably really busy and I don't want to ask for too much. And maybe he's going to be annoyed if I even ask him for this. Like, is this selfish of me? And you get like all in your head about God. Now the Bible could not be more clear. Look at James 4. You do not have because you do not, what's the word? Ask. 
you don't have because you didn't ask God. You didn't ask. That's why you don't have it. Now, even think of this with our friends with the dogs. If Nicole and I would choose not to ask them, would we have any right to be annoyed with them when we showed up without our dog? No, that'd be weird, right? They didn't even know it was something we wanted. Like, so there would be no reason for us to be irritated about that relationship or anything. But this is where it gets kind of different with God. Because I've wondered this. I'm like, okay, hold up. I'm told that I have to ask. But doesn't God already know what I want? Like, can't he, he, he can read, he knows my thoughts. He knows my desires. Like, can't we just streamline this whole process and he just kind of does what he knows I need and I want? We don't even have to pray. Like, why do I even have to pray about this? You got to see though, God has built asking into the very relationship we're supposed to have with him. It's by design. And there are two really important reasons for it. One of the reasons God is like, you actually need to ask is because number one, asking reveals intimacy. I don't know if anybody has noticed this kind of social media trend right now, but there are couples who are posting videos of them popping each other's pimples and zits. Okay, it's nasty. Nobody's algorithm is sending them those videos. Is that only my weird algorithm? What is wrong with me? Um, it's disgusting. It is disgusting and weirdly fascinating at the same time. I'm not gonna lie. But when I noticed this, I'm like, this is, First up, just discuss, it's gross. But then honestly, I had to have an honest moment. I was like, well, hold up. Nicole has actually done that for me. I have to confess, I have had popples pimp, pimples popped by my wife. I don't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> so, but like, this is, I can't be the only one. Don't even act like somebody out there hasn't done this before. Don't even act all holy. I see some of you guys, you know you've done it. Um, but this is the funny thing. Nicole doesn't even really like it, but she does have a weird like middle school science project like fascination with it. She's like, oh, this is disgusting. It doesn't happen every week, okay? Some of you guys are like, what is going on in this family? Um, now, there's one reason though, Nicole is the only person I have ever asked to do this in my entire life and will be the only one because there's a level of intimacy there that we have above anybody else. And if I came up to any of you after church and I said, hey, can you come in the bathroom real quick and just pop one of my zits? You'd be like, I can never go to this church ever again. Like that problem, that pastor has problems because there's an intimacy difference there. And you gotta see when God says, I want you to ask, he's communicating something. He's saying, I want us to be close. I want us to be so close that you feel comfortable asking for anything. That's the type of relationship I want with you. And when you ask, it actually helps us cultivate that kind of relationship. So your comfort of asking God actually reveals how close you really feel to him. Now, it's not even just that asking reveals intimacy, though. Asking also builds faith. There are some things that God literally will not do in your life unless you ask. He won't do it. He is waiting for you to ask. And you may wonder why that's the case, but you, it's actually, there's, you think of a really good reason. The reason for it is because if you don't ask, you might mistake where the answer came from. You'll start thinking, oh, it's just a coincidence or some luck or just random chance or your own hard work is God is like, nope, I need to make sure there is no confusion about where this miracle and this answer came from. You need to know it came exactly from me. And you won't know that unless you ask specifically for it. I actually felt convicted about this some years ago. I was realizing that my prayer life was just kind of bland, just generic. And I realized, I'm like, I wouldn't even know if God answered these prayers. Like, God, just be with me, help me today, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I wouldn't even know if he was doing this. So I made a resolution. I said, I'm only gonna ask for things where it's gonna be undeniable if God answers it or not. I wanna know for sure. 
And even this last year, I made a prayer list at the top of the year. That's just something I do. And um, I made a list of 10 things I was specifically praying for our church, 10 things for Northern Hills. And I reviewed this list at the end of this year after praying for it at different times. And I realized, I was like, oh my goodness, God gave me five things off that list. Now, some of you hear that, you're like, Brian, that is a failing grade in high school math, you know, five out of 10. Like God only gave you five out of 10. Are you just not holy enough? I'm telling you, these were only God things. And he gave me five. He didn't have to give me any. And I don't know if he would have given them if I didn't ask. I'm just so glad I did. And it really stirred my faith because that's what happens. When you ask and then God answers, it creates a powerful feedback loop in your life and it builds your faith. And so God is just waiting. He's like, if you'll ask, I'm going to show you that I actually do answer. I want you to see this. Look what Jesus says, uh, Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now Jesus is going to use an illustration to drive this point home using family dynamics. He says in verse 9, which of you... If your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, thank you, Jesus. We're all evil. Appreciate that. Um, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who, what does it say? Now, of course, there's nuances to this. We could go down the whole rabbit hole of yes, the motives of our heart and aligning with God's will. But can we just take a moment, just take Jesus at his word? Jesus says, God has good gifts, good gifts, good stuff, favor that he wants to bring into your life. But he only gives those things to those who, Nicole and I finally decided to make the ask of this couple with the dogs. And it actually ended up being me. I drew the short straw. I had to be the asker. So I texted the guy. I was like, hey, man, you know how you do it? I was like, you don't have to say yes. It's not a big deal. We don't care. Like, here's the 20 disclaimers so we can still be friends and we can still come over. So I make the whole list of like, please don't hate me. And I asked him, I said, what do you think? We bring the dog over. Maybe they have some fun, whatever. And you know what his text literally said? He said, I think that would be fun. I'm all for it. And so we bring the dog over and they have a blast for four hours. And Bentley crashed that night, had the best day of her life. All because I asked. I'm telling you, some of us in here, if you would just be bold and be willing to ask, you know what God would say to you? I think that would be fun. I'm all for it. I'm so glad you asked. You gotta be bold. Do not hesitate to ask. Now, there's one other thing, though. It's not just being bold. It is you have to be devoted. I had a conversation with a man a while back. It was just interesting. We started talking about just about spiritual stuff. And he starts getting real vulnerable with me. He's like, Brian, I just honestly don't feel close to God. Like, I don't feel like he's working my life. He doesn't feel real to me. And I will tell you, I have so much compassion for that experience. Anybody who's tried to go on a journey with God, you have those moments where you're like, 
do I even believe this stuff? It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like it's working. So I get it. But I tried to help him just do a little audit on his spiritual life. So I was just kind of like, okay, man, well, do you have like a church you're connected to? Like some good community? And he's like, well, I kind of had one a while ago, but I sort of just do some podcasts. So I don't really have like people to do life with. I was like, okay, um, what about just even the Bible? You, you know, any type of reading the Bible at all? And he's like, well, a long time ago, I tried getting through the New Testament that kind of fell off. And it's probably been a year or so since I've really done anything there. I was like, okay, what about prayer? Like, you talking to God at all, bringing anything to him? And he's like, well, honestly, I just kind of sleep in and then I forget and then I get busy and it just doesn't really work. And of course I didn't say this to his face, but I was thinking in this moment, I'm like, why are we even talking right now? Because you're telling me that you feel so spiritually empty. And the reason for that is because you are. Like, why is this shocking to us right now? in this conversation. And I think the reason this is such a struggle for me, especially working in ministry, is in every other area of life, we understand cause and effect. Every single other area, we understand that connection. So if you say, man, I'm out of shape, and somebody says, well, do you exercise at all? Do you eat anything not called a Twinkie? Like we get it though, right? You're like, there's a connection between your decisions and your health. But then when we talk about the spiritual dynamics of our lives, we're shocked when our relationship with God is going nowhere, but our entire spiritual life is Twinkies. Like there, there's a connection there. There is a cause and effect. And anybody can work out for a day. You can do a day. Most people can push through for a week. You know what separates the people who see results from the people who are just playing? It's devotion, really committing to it. You know what separates those who see real results in their spiritual lives from those who are just playing? It's devotion. Luke was a writer in the New Testament. He made a careful note about the dynamics of the early church and why they experienced some of the things they did. In Acts 2, he says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and this is the one I want to hone in on, and to prayer. This idea of devoted, it means to consistently engage in activity regardless of how you feel about it on any given day. You're just committed. Is it any surprise that the early church saw some of the greatest miracles in human history? They were devoted. They were not casual when it came to seeking God. This was actually a characteristic of Jesus himself. Look at Luke 22. And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives was Jesus' favorite prayer spot. And we see here that even Jesus' prayer life was not sporadic. It says it was his custom to go out and seek his heavenly father. Now, if Jesus needed a consistent prayer life, how much more do you think we do? Now, Jesus might feel a little bit unobtainable, right? I mean, God in the flesh. Let's do a human example then. Something maybe a little more practical for us. There's a man named Daniel in the Bible. And if you don't know much about him, he is someone who probably experienced more favor than anyone else. You know, he's, he's in a rare airspace when it comes to the favor of God. There's even nothing bad said about him in the entire Bible. I mean, he's a truly special person. If you look at the impact of Daniel's life and the favor he had, it'd be easy to say, well, oh yeah, he was just one of God's favorites. 
you know, God just picked him. You know, he won the spiritual lottery. That's really what happened there. Maybe, or maybe Daniel was different in the way he lived his life. Because look what Daniel 6 says about this guy. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed. Is it any surprise that God trusted this guy with so much of his favor throughout his lifetime? His devotion was unmatched. Now, if you really want the favor of God, you have to cultivate a devoted life. It's just a necessary ingredient. Last week, I talked about the importance of even getting in God's word and making that a part of your life. Well, in the same way, you actually need a plan for cultivating devotion in your relationship with God. Because if you're depending on your own willpower or how you even manage your own time or what moods you're in each and day, I'm going to tell you, you're going to fail. You will not be able to sustain it. You just won't. That's why many of us don't sustain it even right now. So what can you do? How can you cultivate a truly devoted life of seeking God? There's actually three things you could do. First thing you got to do is you must pick a time. You need to actually find time in your day that you set apart just for God where you're not going to be distracted, nobody else is pulling at you, you can focus right on God. I actually got to a point where I have it in my calendar. If you look at my calendar, there's a spot that just says God, all capitals. And if you ask me to have a meeting during that time, I'm going to tell you I'm busy, because I am. I'm meeting with somebody, and I love you, but he's a little bit more important than you are. And so it's just in my calendar. What's nice about that, though, is I don't wake up every day and just say, eh, do I feel like it? Am I tired? Would I rather just scroll social media? I'm like, no, I got a commitment. I got a meeting. I got to make it to this meeting. So you got to pick a time. And the mistake some of us in here that you can make is you're going to try and go Navy SEAL on this thing from day one. And you're going to be like, great, I'm going to block out four hours a day. I'm going to get up at 2 a.m. and I'm going to make this thing work. And you will quit by day two. It'll be over. So let me encourage you, start small. Can you block out five minutes for God in a day? Can you find five minutes? I'm telling you, even five minutes, you'll start to feel the benefits. And then I'll tell you, once five gets comfortable, 10 will start to feel normal. And you'll get to the point where even an hour with God won't even feel like enough because you enjoy the time so much. So you got to pick a time, okay? Set a time with God. But after that, you have to pick a place. Now, I love this one. This is the fun one because you get to ask, what is just one spot you love? Where's like your favorite place to be? You know, maybe you got like a favorite chair in the house or like a favorite room where like nobody annoys you or bothers you. Or maybe honestly, it's just your car on the commute because there's no kids screaming at you or annoying people and you have heated seats. It's just a nice experience. I don't know what it is for you, but where do you just love to be? Make that the place you connect with God. You'll just enjoy it that much more. You can create like a nice little spot where it's just your place with God. You know, I'm actually kind of different. I um, really like to walk and pray. I just feel like I pray better if I'm walking. So I actually have some prayer walking routes that I have like around our neighborhood. So I have like a shorter one if I'm busy, don't have much time, a longer one if I have more time. And it's kind of cool because over time, I'm like, man, those are the places where I really had some time with God and they become like special to you. You can have like these holy spots in your life where you pray to God. And the last thing though you can do is you can pick a plan. I'm telling you, if you don't have a plan, the chances of you sustaining this are very, very low. And I think we understand the idea of like a Bible reading plan, but you're like, what's a plan for prayer, Brian? 
Well, there's actually so many resources and tools that'll help you focus your attention and give you like guidance on what you can be talking to God about. And even if you go to nhills.org resources, we have a whole prayer link there. It has guides for prayer, little tools you can use, things to just help revitalize and keep your prayer life focused. Super, super helpful. Now I have to guess though, I addressed this last week too. You know, these last two weeks, there has to be some people that are thinking, okay, Brian, wow. You're talking about all this favor of God, and you're telling me, read your Bible and pray. How many times have I heard that in church? Like, is this some shallow church that I can't go deep at all? Like, come on, can you give me a challenge here? Well, I can see why you might think that, but I have a question for you. Are you doing it? Are you actually doing this? Are you actually setting time every day to seek the face of God? Are you making time to make room for his favor and presence in your life? Because if you're not, I don't care if you've been a Christian for 25 years. You still need the basics. You're still in the kiddie pool. You need this. So really, that's my challenge to us. Until you're doing it, we're going to keep talking about it. So... To just motivate us on this, though, I want you to like really believe that this can change your life. I want you to have a desire for it. This is a promise God makes you. If you'll really lean into this, look what Hebrews 11 says. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. God has favor for you. He wants to pour out rewards. But even the writer Hebrews says, there's only a certain subset of people that really see this happen. People who seek him with real bold devotion. God says those are the people who are going to see rewards that so many other people don't see. Those are the people that are going to experience the favor of God. And the timing of this could not be better. This was perfectly timed with this message and where we're at. Because today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. Today, everybody, we are launching a week of prayer and fasting as a church. This very moment today. All right, thank you for the golf clap right in the front. I appreciate it. I got one clap. I'm glad you're all excited about this. Now, I want you guys to know the heart behind this. Why are we doing this? I know that every single one of us falls into spiritual ruts. You get stuck, you lose momentum, you just don't really feel anymore. This is an opportunity to jolt your entire spiritual system and help you get to a whole nother level with God. That is the heart behind this. And what is so cool about this week is Tempe, our communications director, she developed an entire guide for this week of prayer and fasting for our church. Every single day is broken down. It actually follows the Lord's prayer as a little template. It has guidelines for prayer. It has resources you can go to and it it has personal prayer, little guidance. It has prayers for our church, space for notes. I mean, it has everything right here. And so we want to give you an opportunity to set the time, to pick the place, and then we have the plan for you. And I'm just wondering, what do you think would happen, church, if everybody in our community was seeking God together this week? What do you think would happen? Not only if we were just seeking God together, we were seeking him in unity, praying the same prayers together, asking God for the same things in our lives and in our church. I'm telling you right now, everybody, that is a church God is going to pay attention to. That is a church that is going to experience more of his presence. That is a church that is going to experience the favor of God. And this is what I want for you. And so I wanted to remove any opportunity for anyone to procrastinate, okay? 
It doesn't start tomorrow. It doesn't start next week. You are going to leave with this in your hands from this room today, and you're going to start today. There's a Sunday day. It goes all the way through Saturday. So I want to challenge you. When you get home, maybe make this the first thing you do before you turn on football or even eat any food. You're like, I'm getting started on this. Do it before you go to bed. Don't miss Sunday, all right? Don't already fall behind after the first day. Start on Sunday and stick with us through the week, and this is going to change your life. I promise you that. But notice how we didn't just call it a week of prayer. We also called it a week of fasting. Now, this is where I know some people are like, ooh, okay, what does that all mean? And we tried our best to get some communication out, social media, email. I know some of us, this is the first time you're hearing this. So let me just at least get us um, some help on this. When we talk about fasting, we're talking about abstaining from food for a period of time for a spiritual purpose. Many people don't realize, but God has actually connected your body and your spirit in a way where the physical act of denying your appetites actually increases your appetite for God and creates more space for him to work in your life. And if you look all through the Bible, you see there are times when people combine prayer with fasting and they see God respond in ways that are historic. So fasting is basically rocket fuel for your prayer life. That's really what it is. And my challenge to every single person in our church would be this, that you participate in some way this week, not just with prayer, but with fasting as well. So how might you do this this week? What could this look like for you? Well, first thing I would encourage you to do is choose the type of fast you want to do. So for some of us in here, you're going to choose to do what's called a liquid fast. This is where you will actually just do water or fruit or vegetable juices for a period of time. Okay, this is typically how fasting is understood, going out with, going without food. Some of us in here, you might choose to do what's called a Daniel fast. This is referencing Daniel, I mentioned before, where he actually just ate fruits and vegetables for a period of time. So some people will do that. You might even choose to do a modified fast where you just eliminate specific foods from your diet. So you might say, you know what, this week I'm going to go without coffee. Some of y'all just looked at me like, get behind me, Satan. Absolutely not. I mean, I love Jesus, but there are limits, okay? There's no way he'd ask me to do that. Um, but maybe you give up sweets this week. Like you choose a type of food or something that you go without that would be sacrificial for you. Now, let me add an important disclaimer right now. If you are somebody in here who is pregnant or has some type of health dynamic or even maybe even have some type of eating disorder struggle where fasting from food would be risky or unhealthy for you, absolutely do not do a fast that involves food. There are so many alternatives you can do. Maybe this week you don't do social media. You abstain from that or TV or something else that would help you focus on God. But once you choose the type of fast, I want to challenge you to then decide on the length of it. Are you going to do a day? Are you maybe this week going to skip lunch and you take your lunch time to just seek God? You're like, I'm going without lunch. Whatever it is for you that would be sacrificial and appropriate for where you're at in your health and your life, I want every single person to supercharge their prayer life this week and take this step. This is a lost practice in the church and we need to reclaim it because God moves powerfully when you make these types of sacrifices for him. If fasting is totally new to you and you're like, I don't even know where to start, Brian. You didn't give me enough information. nhills.org slash resources. We have a whole link to fasting right on there. Some videos, I think podcasts and other resources. So you'd be like, okay, I kind of know what I'm doing. I want to encourage you to do that. And as we are praying and fasting all this week together, we are going to end this thing with a bang, with a night of prayer and worship this Friday, 7 p.m. in this room. I am pumped for this, all right? It's going to be so fun. We're going to party. We're going to sing. We're going to have fun. You guys, you know, on Sunday, we're kind of buttoned up a little bit, all right? We don't want to be acting too crazy. I know some of you are new. We got to be normal. But on, on Fridays, you know, it's kind of like the living room in the kitchen. It's like you got refrigerator rights. So we loosen up a little bit. We have some fun. We're not crazy, all right? So um, you're not going to be put on the spot. 
it's just gonna be a great time. The worship team has some new songs. We're gonna seek God. We'll have prayer available. It'll go a little over an hour. And the reason we're shooting for Friday, guys, is I'm hoping that that removes the hurdle of work and school for a lot of people's schedules. I know not everybody has a Monday through Friday schedule, but hopefully for a lot of us, Bring your kids. There's no age limit. Bring the baby. Like, everybody's welcome. This is a family affair. Let your kids see you seeking God. Bring your kids. I'll have my kids here, okay? We're okay with a little bit of controlled chaos, but on Friday, 7 p.m., I want to challenge everybody to be here to see God as we close out this week together. But as we close today, everybody, I just want you to believe to your core that this seeking God thing will pay off that you have a God who hears your prayers and will answer them. And he's just waiting for you to ask boldly and to be devoted to him in the way you seek him. There's a man uh, who went by Gypsy Smith. His name was Rodney. And he was born in 1860. He, for the first 25 years of his life, he was in and out of prison. He was a total felon. And he, um, he eventually met Jesus and it totally changed his life. He actually became um, a traveling evangelist. And you think about this, in the late 1800s, this guy preached to millions of people. Think about it, no PA system or anything. And at one point in his life, somebody approached him and said, Gypsy, it doesn't make sense. There is a level of power and favor on your life that is just so undeniable. There's something so different about you that we can't even articulate. And so somebody just finally said like, what is the secret? What do you do that is so different from everybody else where you are seeing the favor of God in ways that most people never see? You know what Gypsy said? He said, well, if you really wanna know, you need to go find a room. He said, you need to lock the door. He said, and you need to get on your knees. He said, after you get on your knees, he said, draw a circle. circle, pray to God that he would start a revival in that circle. So many times, the outpouring of the favor of God starts with one person deciding they're going to seek God with bold devotion. God. And my prayer, Lord, right now is that the people of our church would develop this conviction, Lord, that you truly will reward those who earnestly seek you, that this will be worth the effort. It'll be worth the sacrifice. You will make it more than worth it, God. And I pray right now, Lord, for every person who truly chooses to seek you boldly in a devoted way this week, God, my prayer is that you truly would reward them. 
that they would see you answer their prayers. God, I, I've read it today. You made a promise, Lord. You said you reward those who earnestly seek you. I'm praying that our church would experience that to be true, that we would have testimonies of your power and your answers and your goodness in our lives. And Father, as we lean into this week, I ask for an outpouring of favor. Lord, we wanna be a church that pleases you. I am asking that you would turn your face towards us as we seek your face this week. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.